Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Series. How many of you want to be conquerors? <clears throat> how many of you, even better than that, how many of you know you're already a conqueror? Oh, you missed that. You missed that. I wanted to see how you was going to take wannabe versus R. Bible says we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. Well, this Tuesday, I'll be releasing my fourth book. Woke Church. I'm so excited. We'll make them available next Sunday. We'll have a little signing and stuff like that, a little soft launch. But really excited about um, this resources opportunity um, to help the, uh, the American church in the urgent call for Christians in particular um, to confront racism and justice in our country. And so keep this resource um, lifted. Excited about um, the opportunity to see the Lord continue to work in and through this as a way for us to have a tool. Somebody say a tool. It's one thing for us to sit around and argue about things or people say they disagree with whatever. But my question is at the end of the day, what are you doing as a solution? And, um, and for us, it, we believe it's not just pragmatics. We believe it's a part of the framework of believers to be a part of the solution. Let's stand to our feet. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Go. Amen, amen, amen. In the second installment of our series, I would like to talk about today, conquering discouragement. How to conquer discouragement. Let's go before the Lord. Lord God Almighty, maker of all things, Lord God, I pray today that you would um, give us such a passion uh, to fight what's normal here, what's normal to impede upon our ability to be who you've called us to be, who you want us to be and what you want us to see. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer and whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? You may be seated. You may be seated. Conquering discouragement. How many of you have ever been discouraged? That's like a weird question. But how many of you, hold your hand, don't, don't try, some of y'all went like that. Hold a hand up, hold a hand up, I want to see the hand. And, and, and uh, uh, discouragement, how many of you ever felt like you couldn't shake discouragement? It just, no matter what you did, you just could not shake discouragement. It's interesting, um, 
Very, very good book I read over two decades ago by Philip Yancey. It's called Disappointment with God. How many of you have ever been disappointed with God? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> no, nah, there's nothing wrong with that. Raise your hand if you've ever honestly been disappointed with God. Amen. Um, I like one of the things that he says in his book. He says, disappointment occurs when the actual experience of something falls short of what we anticipate. Now, let me say that again. Disappointment happens or occurs when the actual experience of something falls short of what we anticipate. I, I heard one preacher saying, I don't preach on sin. Okay? So I was confused by it. Um, because I'm like, how can you preach the gospel and not talk about, we're not talking about focusing on sin, and, but it exists. Um, and I don't talk about anything saddening. You know, this whole positive and negative energy stuff that's really rooted in 18th century New Age mysticism. So if you put out positive vibes, you get positive back, you know. Um, and so in the kingdom, um, it's so powerful that it can deal with the negative vibes that come towards you. Oh, you missed that part. See, that's the encouragement about knowing Christ. And, and even in doing that, what happens, though, is when you preach a sinless gospel, it's not a gospel, right? But the issue is you train people to, like, ignore stuff, which when you begin to ignore reality what begins to happen is is that when your circumstance doesn't line up with the espoused ideology that you're functioning in then what begins to happen is disappointment sets in because a ideology that tells you to ignore reality automatically sets you up for discouragement why? Because discouragement comes when you have expectations that go unmet. And so I, I can only imagine becoming a Christian. <laughs> I, don't know if you, I don't know if this was your experience, but it seemed like in some ways my life was better when I wasn't a Christian. Now what I mean by that is not that my life was actually better. What, what, what I mean is I didn't have convictions about my mess when I was out there. When I was out there, it was just, it was just all, you know, we used to call it grace and gravy. It wasn't really grace. I don't know where we got that from, grace and gravy. I guess it was just the two G's together. We just loved that. But, 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 that, but when I became a believer, everything in my life shifted, and it shifted because now I am under, and all who call upon the name of Jesus are now under the attention of the enemy. <laughs> Now you are on the enemy's radar. Why? Because you wear his glory. You wear his glory. You wear his glory. What is the verse for today? Oh, just go ahead and sit down and ask somebody else. I love you. Okay. All right. All right. That's my boy. <laughs> and so in light of this reality that we see in this passage, we see the seven churches beginning to experience something really, really powerful. We're experiencing them, Jesus talking directly to their church. That's amazing that Jesus would talk directly to their church. Because as Jesus would talk directly to their church, he begins to give them information, I believe, that's extremely pertinent to the reality of what God has called them to deal with. And this church in particular is dealing with some hard things. Out of all the seven churches, only two of them, only two of the seven get encouraging words from Jesus. Only two. The, the other five, uh, uh, they, they get in the gas face from Jesus. Oh, my, my bad, that's the 90s. Um, <laughs> let me see. They, <laughs> my bad. Let me see how we can train. They, they, they get in 
Ice grilled by Jesus. There we go. Or no, um, the, Jesus looking at them weird. There we go. Translation. <laughs> and so as we, as, we, as we look at this, we see that what, people who are going through something so difficult, why would Jesus be so positive? And this is where we come to my first point and only point. We conquer discouragement by continuing to move forward. We conquer discouragement by continuing to move forward. I know that ain't deep enough for some of y'all, but you'll see why this is so important in this passage. He says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, thus says the first and the last. You gotta stop right there. Now, people always say that Jesus never, ever, ever called himself God. Never. Right here, he just called himself God. He said, thus says the first and the last. And, 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 and this goes back to Isaiah 44, 6, where it says, this is what the Lord, the King of Israel, and its Redeemer, the Lord of armies says, I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. There it is. So right here in the text, you missed a grave shouting moment. Jesus just said, I'm God. When he says I'm the first and the last, for those of you who don't get it yet, it means there's nothing before me and there's nothing after me. Um, the first and the last means I begin stuff and I end stuff. I have the first word and I have the last word. When he says that I'm the first and the last, that means no matter what you're going through and no matter what is happening in your life, your circumstances, your frustrations, your bad relationships, your broke money situation doesn't have the last word in your life, but Jesus Christ has the last word in your life. Your sickness doesn't have the last word in your life. Nothing in your life even your broken heart, and it's, guess what? Even your disappointment. Even your disappointment doesn't have the last word in your life. So Jesus <coughs> communicates beautifully of himself that he is the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. So what does he want to say? When you put that type of resume out there, it almost, it's beautiful when God puts something about himself up front to set the tone for what you should be putting confidence in him for in what he's about to communicate to you. In other words, every time Jesus in the seven churches brings up a particular attribute about himself or think about his works or his nature, guess what he's doing? He's setting you up to know that he's a stable place to deal with whatever he's about to communicate to you. You need, that's why you need to understand God. Because when stuff goes topsy-turvy in your life, if you don't understand God, you'll blame him for stuff that has nothing to do with his character. And so what you have to begin to do is you have to understand the massivity of his majesty. I like that right there. You, you, when you understand the massivity of his majesty, he, he can, you understand his ability to minister to your mess. Oh, ain't nobody going to hear me right now. It's all right. I'm by myself. I'll wait to the second service. Verse 9. He says, I know 
Um, this idea means I know intimately everything about you. Now, why does, but this is going to seem a bit weird here. <laughs> because when he says, I know, he's going to tell you what he knows, but what he knows is going to be weird because I want to know if you know this, why aren't you doing nothing about it? He says, I know your affliction and your poverty. Stop right there. Now, Jesus Christ, how are you going to come to me and tell me you know how bad my life is right now? Can you imagine that? When Jesus just shows up and says, I, I know what's going on. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like, okay, keep going. Bring out some things that'll help, you know, with, with it. What, 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 I, I, I see, for me, when he came to me and said, I know your affliction and your poverty, I'm going to just shout, shouting, shabaking, tongue-talking, everything. I'm going to be real excited because I'm like, he knows what I'm going through. Hallelujah. But the issue is, the question is, what if his response to what you're going through is different than what your expectations of what you think he should do would be. That's when disappointment comes. Disappointment comes when Jesus Christ says, I know what you're going through, but I'm not gonna give you the answer you wanted. I want y'all to just sit on that for like 10 seconds. Because some of you are in some stuff where you're, you're, you're like, I got, you, you ever pray to God, say, I know you know what I'm dealing with. And he, he just like, but I'm not, but the way I want to work in this is not got, manufactured by your dreams. Help me today. You know, one of the things that I started doing in my prayer life lately, <laughs> because I, I went radio silence for a little while on the Lord. And then I, re, I, I wake and re-up, you know, just for, and start talking. And I was like, you know what, God? You know what I learned, God? I'm learning in prayer, God. I'm not, I'm going to ask you for stuff, but not tell you how to bring it to pass. Because you can't instruct God on sovereignty mechanisms. <laughs> you can't tell him how to be God in your life, but you can, he tells you to make requests. He never tells you to tell me how to do stuff. So, 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 so now he may answer your prayer, but the route may be where you didn't even think, but God gets more glory out of the route he gives you, not just out of the answer to the prayer that you're asking of him. So that means you have to be careful of letting discouragement set in as a long-term heart solution for the frustrations that you're dealing with because that will put you in what's called disparity, hopelessness. And so when you look at, he says, I know your affliction, you gotta understand distress is this, affliction means to live in a state of oppression, physical, mental, social, economic adversity, everything. In other words, affliction means everything going wrong in your life. That's, that's, one of the, that's one of the ways the lexicon tells us we can translate. Everything going wrong. In other words, getting jumped by your circumstances. I don't know if you, see, I'm from the hood, so I got jumped before. I don't know if you ever got jumped before. But if you ever got jumped before, you're in the middle of the fight, and you surround it. I don't know if anybody ever just got jumped. And you're getting hit from every 
single, I mean, you don't even know where to swing because you're like, you just, you just kind of going like this and you may swing a punch at somebody and I, in my day, you just grab one person and just hurt them and tell everybody else to back up. But um, I mean, I mean, you're just getting jumped and getting all beat up and everything. That's, that's what life sometimes God would allow in your life. God will allow your life to, to just jump you. Your finances punching you. Your relationships punching you. Your family punching you. Your job punching you. Your body, everything in your life is just, just stomping, stomping you, stomping you, stomping you like in Boys in the Hood. Right? Jesus says, I know that it's happening. That means he's actively watching me get stomped. So there's a point where when this was happening, you were actually looking at me and didn't stop it. But then you're about to tell me you got a reason for it, right? Now, now when you're hurting, many times you don't want to hear Jesus's reasonings. Cause you're like, Jesus, I don't really care what the reason is. What I really care about is an exit door. That's what I care about. And I even used your name for it and it never showed up. It never showed up. <laughs> I did what the preacher said. I said, I speak to this situation, and right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind you, finance, I, you did all of that. Yeah. Devil, you can't have my family. You did everything. You did all of the Christian cultural prayer techniques, and they didn't work. <laughs> and... And Jesus says, I know, I know your poverty. You know that some of the people here, they were business owners, lost their businesses because of Jesus. Just sit on this. Their dreams came to pass. Their faith in Jesus became clear. And the thing they spent their entire life dreaming about happening got lost because they became a Christian. I, want to, I just want y'all to think about that. All, we live in a culture where everybody's taught to dream, but we don't realize, and there's nothing wrong with dream. Dream, 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 like the song says, right? Dream. But the issue is, don't think that your dream is your ultimate purpose. That ain't popular today. Now, I know somebody might leave the church because I'm supposed to make you feel good about you about to leave with your dream. God ain't never called me to tell you to leave the, a, a facility or a gathering just about a dream. It's about him and Christ being formed in you and you being a mechanism for his glory in the culture. It should, in other words, your dreams should at some point be beyond just your personal preferences. <laughs> and so these Christians, they lost stuff because of their Christianity. But what they did is they didn't stop being Christians because they were mad at God. See, in our culture, God don't do one thing for us, we don't come to church no more. Because really, we have a cosmic genie, not a king of kings. And so, and so when, you, when you look at the scriptures, Though there's this picture of God does bring dreams to pass and you should do that. It was interesting. I was looking at this documentary of a couple. Ooh, stay with me, Lord. 
was looking at this documentary of this couple, beautiful couple, saying praise and worship. They, they, you know, she was a virgin, he was a virgin. You know, they grew up in Christian home, homeschool. I mean, the, the evangelical dream team. I mean, they were, I mean, literally grew up in the suburbs. They, they went to youth group. They went to Christian camps and, you know, everything. They led praise and worship. They strummed the guitar from age two. I mean, just Christian. Just Christian, didn't watch, you know, didn't listen to secular music. I mean, just, just Christian, I mean, real Christian, 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 right? <laughs> and they got married, and they were in an environment where they were being taught, you know, name it, claim, whatever you say, God, do he, all that. And so they got married, they were virgins, and they were trying to have a kid for years and couldn't have a kid. And then it got to the point where they got really discouraged about their inability to conceive. They're like, God, now, I done been a virgin all my life. I see people out here, you know, they wildin', having four kids. Can I have one? I mean, that was their, this, this is what they're saying, right? And, and, and um, you know, and, 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 and what, interestingly enough, it began to be the beginning for them, and this is them talking, of their journey towards atheism. And it was like, hold on, how do you get from I can't have a baby to God is not real? Let me, let me, let me say something very clear to, to the church today. I am not absent-minded enough to think that although I preach from week to week, you believe the doctrines that's in this book. There's some of you under the sound of my voice that you may laugh when I talk about some of their faulty ideologies out there, but some of you listen to those people out there. You listen to, some of you share and believe false teaching. And enjoy it, amen it, love it, and send it to other people because in that particular area, you think they're telling you the truth. One of the things I want you to be careful of, because, it, it, because if, if, if the, the challenge of listening to false information, guess what it does, is it nurtures you. And you actually feed off of it, and it becomes a part of the matrix of your value system. When you go through a difficult time, you're confused, because you come to a church where I believe, I don't care what you say, we preach Bible. I don't care what you say. We preach by the way, we, uh, I don't care what you, you can be mad, whatever. At least you'll say, if he died that Sunday, he was in the Bible. Okay? Now, but, but then there's some of us that say, well, I don't like that nuance of Bible. So I'm going to go over here and get some falsity. And what happens is you get nourished on it, you go through something, you get confused and wonder why your faith isn't working out. It's because your faith in Christ is not based on you feeling good all the time. Your faith in Christ is not based on him meeting all your expectations. Your faith in Christ is not based on anything in your life but him being God and God alone in your life and him constantly working in your life to chisel you into the image of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If circumstances was a reason to lead a faith, I'd have been gone. Guess what? My wife ain't coming today. Why she can't come today? 
because her illness is getting worse. And she said, baby, I can't make it today. I may need to go to the emergency. Listen, I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on a God that keeps. Like, 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 like when he's talking to the church at Smyrna, he knows that they've gone through a lot of difficult things. And what I love about Jesus is he makes a personal visit to discouraged people. Amen. <laughs> he always makes a visit to discouraged people. <laughs> always, always. And he makes a vision. And guess what he encourages them with? He just told them they were afflicted and they were in poverty. But then he says the weirdest thing I've ever heard in the Bible and in the world. He tells them you're in poverty, but you're rich. How in the world does people who've lost everything have everything? <laughs> I did a study on, I said, how, how are they rich? So obviously Jesus didn't define it based on natural wealth. If he talked about their suffering and poverty, they had to be, they had to have another type of riches or something else. So one of the things that the Bible says that we're rich in is we're rich in faith. Yeah. <laughs> we're rich in faith. Somebody say, oh man, don't nobody wanna hear that. <laughs> rich in faith, God send me that money. Send me that dinero, that bread, that cheddar. You understand? I don't might want to hear this old whack ideology. Man, this, you know, being rich and what does that even mean? Y'all know, y'all know I'm telling the truth. Some of y'all out there, this is so whack. <laughs> to be rich in what does that that don't that's that don't even touch. How does that work in my fine? How does that work in my life? I need some practical principles to get ahead in life. <sighs> but Jesus said, You're rich in faith. Meaning that when the bottom drops out of you, you're still holding on to him. He's given that to you. He's given you the ability for when the bottom drops out of your life, that you have the capacity because you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ to hold on and not give up. You have the ability, even though you may feel like committing suicide, not to commit suicide. You may be on the edge, and because of the faith that Christ has given you and the strength that he's given you, you have the ability not to go over the edge. That's being wealthy. That's rich. He <laughs> says you're rich in good works. When Jesus says rich, this is the stuff he means. Since riches and good works, you still do the right thing. You ever, you ever got into something, you got discouraged, and you say, you know what, I'm going to have a few wild out moments. Okay, ain't nobody going to be real in the church today. You want to say, I'm going to go get me something today. I'm going to call up an old flame. I'm going to go to happy hour and, and not be responsible. I'm going to go back to the old weed spot. See, the person that's rich, they say, God, I'm going to just be honest with you. I want to go left today. But something in the inside of me is holding me back from this weed. Something holding me back from this sex. Something holding me back from just walking away. Because that means that you are rich. You're rich. You're rich. And guess what? Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Yes, 
dwell in you. It's overwhelming richness. This is what it means to be rich, y'all. <clears throat> Riches of complete understanding and knowledge of Christ. That's a gift. The, these things here, these things here, family of God, are gifts from God of what it means to be rich. Because these are riches that are sustainable. Like earthly riches, you can stack bread all you want to, but let that Dow Jones drop just a, just a T-tad bit. Let somebody stop buying your brand. If you're not rich in this, you're going to have a 45 caliber next to you. But to be rich in the things of God, you're saying, man, God, my identity is not here. And what I have, it's in who has me. So that's how we define riches. He says, and listen to Jesus, and this is crazy right here. Listen to what he says. He says, I know the slander of those who call themselves Jews and are not. Oh, my God, I wish I had time. Now, actually, and this deals with what we brought up earlier, even the nation of Islam tries to use this passage and other groups try to use this passage, but it's actually talking about real Jews who rejected the gospel. That's the background here. So the Jews in Smyrna, because they wanted, they had religious liberty, Christians did not have religious liberty under the Roman Empire. So in light of that reality, in this section of the, the empire, the Jews in this particular area began to persecute and even snitch on Christians. You know the stop snitching t-shirts we used to have in Philly a few years back? They would have had on the snitch t-shirts back then. Snitching was cool in Smyrna, all right? And so, and so, and so, and so, and so they were snitching and so, because they wouldn't worship the emperor. And so they said, look, the Christians, we know we got freedom, but they worship something else. And so what began, to, what began to happen is they began getting persecuted. And because of persecution, the Christians were getting discouraged. And so they were losing everything. And they even helped Christians to lose their place, lose their finances, lose all different types of things. But Jesus calls them a synagogue of Satan. Why are they a synagogue of Satan? Because they oppose the gospel. Oh God, you, listen, this is healthy stuff here. Let it sink in. Anything that opposes the gospel of Jesus Christ is a synagogue of Satan. Anything that tries to uproot you from believing that Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, you come from spiritual death to spiritual life is a satanic force against you. Listen, because, it, because your entire existence is built around Christ dying and Christ getting up from the grave for you. As I'm even, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but as I'm even studying spiritual warfare even more and getting into it, so much in our lives would be solved if we would learn how not to fight in the human realm, but learn how to fight in the spiritual realm. <laughs> and so he said they're they're this they're synagogue say they're accusers of the brethren look at verse 10 now now hold on can y'all look at me for a second now you got a you got this a lot so let's take a deep breath say, all right because this next section is even crazier to me than the first section like 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 if you like preach the entire bible or read the entire Bible, you just get a more well-rounded sort of disposition about the scriptures. 
Now, 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 now you just told me, Jesus, you know my affliction. Hallelujah. Thank you for saying. You know my poverty. You know I'm broke. Amen. You said I'm rich. Okay, if I'm rich, show me the money. Or release, right? At least. Now, Jesus, now, I'm being as respectful as I can. This is some crazy talk for the person who lives in the earth, realm only. This talk right here that Jesus is about to talk, I don't even wrap my mind about it. Now, now I'm going to just ask you this. Next time somebody tell you they're a prophet, ask them when they tell you something like this. Now, we always promising in three days you're about to this. In five days, let's see if they promise this. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Stop. Don't look no more. I'm like, oh, Lord, what's about to happen? Jesus said, don't be afraid. So if he's saying don't be afraid, that means I have actually a reason to be afraid. <laughs> right? Like he's saying, don't be, what is, it, what is about to happen? I mean, you're like, what, what in the world? He says, look, the devil. The devil. You, 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 in your poverty and in your affliction, the devil in the midst of your discouragement, yet holding to me in riches, wants to place specific attention on unearthing your faith. He's about to throw some of you, not all of you, but some of you in prison. Now, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Now, God, you like, you, you, how much more can I take? Now, I know we teach, that's the reason why he's doing that is because God can trust them. That's not in the Bible. Amen. The reason why they're going through that and the reason why is because God don't put on you more than you can bear. Yes, he does. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse eight and nine. Okay? So he says, but I'm putting, I'm allowing you, I'm, basically I'm allowing this to happen. The devil's going to throw you into prison to test you. That's it. That's the reason. To show you what you're made of. I'm letting Satan be my tool to expose my glory in your life. <laughs> I'm letting, he thinks he's being a mechanism of discouragement. But actually, I'm going to use your test as a mechanism for your encouragement. <laughs> and he says, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. And guess the only thing that he tells them to do, which is this is a lost art in our day. Be faithful. That's, that's his only application Hang in there. I'm going to let you go through it and it's going to get hard. All I'm going to tell you is it's going to hurt. Hang in there. Are y'all hearing what's in this Bible? <laughs> He's saying it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. I'm the first and the last though. Remember that. Even though you're going to get afflicted, the devil won't have the last word. The hard part about it is, is he will have one. He will have a word, but he won't have the last word. He said, be faithful even if you have to die. 
faithfulness. Many of us can't even be faithful if death ain't even nowhere in the environment. Oh, I quit. I'm done. I'm gone. Deuces, you know. But God has called us to a biblical standard of faithfulness, of keep believing, to keep going, keep the faith. Found dependable is what faithfulness means. Can you be found dependable? In every season of your life, can you be found dependable? <laughs> found joyous, keeping loving people even though you don't feel like it. Keep hoping even though it seems like everything in your future is eclipsed. And can you, yes, keep dreaming. He says, and guess what? He says, he says, guess what? This, uh, 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 he says, it's about to throw you, all this is about to happen. He says, be faithful to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. No, what is he saying? He's not saying you're earning the crown of life. He's just letting them know that for those who know me, a crown waits for them. What is that crown? Eternal life. He's not saying if you endure, you get the crown of life. He says, keep going, because the crown of life waits for all of us. Is the crown of life enough for us? Is it enough? And he says, let anyone, he said, this is not for y'all, Smyrna. He says, this is specifically gonna happen to you, but this word can touch others. He says, let anyone who has ear listen to what the spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers, which you will, will never be harmed by the second death. That's crazy. He said, now, Satan's gonna do some stuff to you, and it's gonna be painful. But what I'm gonna to do to him, I'm not gonna to do to you. He think he's causing you havoc, but I'm gonna cause him hell. Y'all missed the euphemism. He, he, he basically says, you're going through affliction, but he's going to hell. Oh, you ain't get it yet. In other words, as painful as what you're going through is, it's not compared to what I'm going to do to him for doing what he did to you. <laughs> it's beautiful to see that reality of the glory of the gospel in our life. Um, I was on a plane coming back in Indianapolis to Upper Bay, and um, we sat on the runway for a while, and then we went back in, and um, the, 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 the dude was like, oh, some stuff is going wrong. And so he said, he told us, the pilot says, well, the lights are about to go out. And he says, don't be alarmed. We're just pressing reset and we're pressing reset to implement the changes that we've already brought, but we have to turn everything off for a while in order that the reset can happen, and when the lights come on, we'll be able to take off. All I wanna tell you today is in your life, whenever you go through affliction, it may get dark for a little while, but that's just God pressing reset in your life. 
for all the changes that he's implemented before the lights went out. Because when the lights come back on in your life and he resurrects you and he brings you through and he brings you out, you finna take off and you're gonna be in a new place in God. You're gonna be in a new strength in God. You're gonna experience new power in God. All because he pressed reset on Friday when Jesus Christ died on the cross. The Bible says it went dark. Why? Because he pushed reset and it was dark on Friday. It was dark on Saturday, but on early morning, everything rebooted over again. And he got up with all power in his hands. One day, he's coming back. And I know it's dark in your life right now. I know it's broken in your life right now. I know it's frustrating in your life right now. But one day, he's going to press reboot on the entire universe. And there'll be a new heavens. There'll be a new earth. And guess what? There'll be a new you. Be faithful. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.